Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank God for his holy written word. This title is Faith for Healing, Lesson 2. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 as our opening text. This is from the Living Bible. Now, God's attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. I think two of you got that. I said, now God's attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Five more got it. Now God's attitudes and thoughts. Whose? Is that what it says? You mean God doesn't have to change? You mean his attitudes and thoughts are already the best? So there's no changing with him? I guess there's changing with us. Our thoughts, our attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Why? Because we're growing up into Him. He's not growing up into us. Right? So let's keep that in mind. And then when I say this, you understand my direction. As a pastor, it's my desire to affect change in the people's lives. It's to share the truth of God's Word, empowered by the Spirit, to penetrate our very hearts and souls, to affect change, to produce change in our lives. It's okay to have a good service, it's okay to have a good message, but if it doesn't produce change, if it doesn't affect change, then really have we succeeded? I can't imagine being Jeremiah the prophet who was called by God to speak the word of truth to the Israelites for 40 years only to end up, tradition says, being stoned to death by the Jews in Egypt. And along the way in those 40 years, as he began to call them out and preach the truth of God's word, you know what happened? They got upset with him. Turned on him. Why? Because he told them to stop the idolatry. Stop breaking the commandments of God. Stop what you're doing. Align up with God. Do his will. Fulfill his purposes. His plan for your life. And they couldn't take it. So they finally had him killed. They killed him. Tradition says. Stoned him to death. Pretty sad, isn't it? He couldn't get those people to change after 40 years of preaching to them, even though it was the truth of God's word that he was preaching. Well, it couldn't very well be because change is never easy in anybody's life. How many of you like change? I did a message some time ago called the six D's of change. And if you're thinking through, it's not easy. We understand that. We get set in our ways and we think this is how it should be. But number one... There's got to be a desire. Desire means I am passionate about change in my life. If we think we're already there and we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, I think we better change that way of thinking immediately. Wouldn't you agree? Because we're not there. 
constantly changing for the better our thoughts, our attitudes. And then it requires a decision, a formal statement of intent. I am making a formal statement of intent. My purpose is to change. I desire it. I'm deciding that I will change. And then I have to have a design, like a blueprint, someone to follow, the model. What's, what do I want to look like? Christ. We're to be conformed to his image and likeness. It could be whatever it is that we're looking to achieve. It could be healing in your body. I want to see myself well. I want to see myself whole. We have a lot of uh, scripture references and examples that we see how people became whole. Like the woman with the issue of blood. She saw herself touching his garment. She saw herself being whole. And she declared it. But then even after that, there has to be determination. A fixed purpose. This is my fixed purpose. It's almost like Jesus setting his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Remember that statement? What does that mean? He put blinders on as far as everything else was concerned. This is my goal. This is what my direction. This is what I'm going after. And nothing is going to get me to move to the right or to the left. And then, diligence. Steadfast, continued application of what it takes to get there. And finally, discipline. Discipline. See, it's through faith and patience we experience the promises of God, but it takes discipline to stay. For example, like Noah building the ark for all those years to accomplishes the purpose of it. So change isn't easy. It's understandable. You know, if we just want to come and have a good service and feel good and leave and say we did our duty and all that, but do we really want change in our lives? Do we want to be more like Jesus? Do we want to achieve the goal of our healing, of our deliverance, or whatever it might be? Well, let me give another example here. Let's say a person comes into our assembly, maybe here today, or watching by live streaming, and they're not saved. They don't know Jesus. You know what my desire is? To share the love of God in such a way so as to penetrate their very soul and create within in them a desire to know Christ. So let them know there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. To let them know provision has already been made for them to be with Him in eternal glory. And all you've got to do is come and give your heart to Him. It's not about what you do, it's about what he has done. But the spark has to be there for that person to have that longing desire. And I remember when I got under conviction, someone told me I must be born again. I rejected it at first, but you know what? It stayed with me. And another one came along, and another one came along, and finally it hit me. Eyes were open, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Could be someone, for example, that uh, also is a, a, we call it sometimes backsliding. I don't know if that's the best term. But let's just say that they left their first love and maybe went back into the world. You were saved, you're born again, spirit-filled, walking with God. But certain things happen in your life and all of a sudden you drifted away. You've let some of these things slip and now here you find yourself maybe becoming more worldly, I guess is the way to say it. You know, giving place to the things that John said in 1 John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life and all that. And so we're drifting back in all that and not walking like we should. Well, the goal is for God's Spirit to reach and touch that person. Reach out, grab a hold of him, bring conviction upon his soul, touch that person, remain on that person, stay with that person until they finally cry out and repent and ask God for mercy and get restored. That's what it's all about. So if a person's in that state of mind, that's what you want to do. You want to penetrate their souls. And, and Jeremiah the prophet tried, tried to get them to see the truth. But he just couldn't do it. You know, just sharing, Brother Pete and I sharing this morning, you know, oftentimes you hear people say, God's in control. God's in control. Really? Is he in control of the decisions that people make in life? If he had his way, everybody would be saved. 
If he had his way, no, there wouldn't be a murder. If he had his way, there wouldn't be a rape. Right? God's not controlling any of that. If he had his way and he was in control, there would not be an accident. There wouldn't be a plane crash. There wouldn't be a tornado. There wouldn't be an earthquake or a tsunami or any of that. You see, there are some things that are in our control and decisions that we make are important. So this person, like I'm talking about, look at Revelation chapter 2. This is what Jesus said. If we find ourselves in that state and it's easy to drift back into that state, look at what he says. Nevertheless, he complimented them on the things they were doing, but he said, nevertheless, I have someone against thee because you have left your first love. Notice, they left. What's he talking about? They walked away from it. They walked away from loving God the way they were loving God. Maybe pursuing Him the way they were pursuing Him. Maybe walking with Him as they were walking with Him. And here's what he says. Here's the remedy. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and redo. Or do the first works over. You can say redo or repeat. It's not that difficult. It's very simple. But see, sometimes I believe it takes a spark. Coming to a church service like this, this is what this is all about. A spark, something that you hear penetrates your soul. Something that you hear just ignites something within you, a desire to become more, let's say, attentive to striving for what you're looking for, for what God wants you to have. Uh, it could be someone also that's involved in, let's say, relationships that are broken. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Who knows? Someone could be out there by live streaming having difficulty in relationships or you could be here having difficulty in relationships and the list goes on and on. But if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, notice in you, not the other person, live peaceably with all men as much as it lies within you. Make a decision that you're going to be a peacemaker, in other words, in your life. And you hear that truth of God's word. And what do you do? You look to God to have it become a reality in your life. You know what? I'm going to live my life that way, Lord. I want to be a peacemaker in my life and restore peace. Okay, so our attitude towards God's word will determine whether or not that ever becomes a reality. Whether or not we're ever changed to live our lives that way. The next one I have listed is like mediocrity and complacency. Have you ever been there before? Two of you have. <laughs> mediocrity. Complacency. We become complacent in the things of God. Well, look in Romans chapter 12. The goal is to create a spark within that person's soul. A spark that produces a blazing fire that ignites something within them to really get right back on track. And serving God ardently. Look at what it says. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affected one to an affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word fervent there is the key word. It's talking about hot boiling water, hot heat, for example, like a welder's light, heat. Let's put it this way. It's the same word that's used when it says the world is going to, this earth is going to do what? Be consumed with this fervent heat. Fervent fire. This fervent heat. It's going to melt it all and have a new one. So in other words, our service for the Lord should be on fire. God is a consuming fire. One of the things we used to use with our youth group was, are you on fire for God? Are you ablaze for God? You see, so if we're complacent and you come to a church service, I want you to walk out that door changed. 
I want you to have a spark within you that ignites a burning fire and a flame within your soul that says, you know what, I'm getting back on track with God, praise God. I am going to continue to do the th first works over until I can sue with the power of God. Another thing could be, there might be people that come in that are bitter and unforgiving. Well, look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. I thank God for the verses 23 and 24, which are the faith scriptures. But look at verse 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any. That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Whoa. What a premium is that place on forgiveness? Do we want our sins to be forgiven? Absolutely. So what is he saying to us? You might be bitter. You might be unforgiving. You might have animosity within your heart. You know what? It's not worth it. It's only going to consume you, not the other person. And so we need to release it. We need to get rid of it. Praise God. Thank God for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We all need that forgiveness and cleansing, don't we? Remember what David said, create me a clean spirit, renew a right spirit within me. Create me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Amen. And so, once again, it's to, to penetrate the heart with a message that says, you know what? You can't afford to hold bitterness and resentment toward anybody. Why? It's just too, it costs too much to do so. And then, finally, in our subject today is this. Someone comes in and they're sick and diseased. And the goal is to speak the word, to preach the truth of God's word, to penetrate the very heart, to spark a blaze within them, to really want to come and receive their healing from the Lord. Because why? Jesus died for that. Oftentimes I talk to a lot of different people and they never even hear a message about the healing power of God in their churches. I grew up for 24 years. You've heard me say that. I've never heard one time that Jesus is a healer. Not once. How sad. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 15. How important are these verses and these statements that Jesus made? For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Notice he puts the blame on them. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted or changed and I should Heal them. The Greek, the Greek word there for heal is the same one by straps where you're healed. You know, the Greek word means health. They're made whole is what it really means, made whole. But notice the involvement. What we hear, what we see, what we understand from the heart, and then finally changed. A change has to take place. But does, it cha does a change take place with him? Or does the change take place with us? I really appreciate your enthusiasm this morning. You guys are on fire for the Lord this morning. Where does the change take place? With us. So don't look at anybody else. But the change takes place with me. You heard me say that we couldn't have children. And as long as I would have believed that, it would have never happened. But a change took place when my brother Jose said, read Psalm 128. It doesn't take a long time. What it takes is a heart that's full of desire and someone who makes a decision. And you see the model there. And you're determined. You have your purpose fixed. And you're diligent to do what the Word says to do. And you're disciplined to continue with it until you get the results you're looking for. 
I changed and a miracle took place. I didn't put the fault on God. I blame myself. And I actually repented for misrepresenting him. But I want you to see this. We have to hear spiritually. We have to see spiritually. We have to understand spiritually from the heart. And then we have to change. And then he says, and I'll heal them. Now, as far as I'm concerned, what we're about to share with you about the life of Naaman the leper is probably one of the most important examples we need to understand and know about in order for us to position ourselves to receive healing from our Lord. It answers so many questions that people have today. So let's read it, first of all, all the way through. Then I'll make comments and talk about six things we can grasp or learn from lessons from this experience of Naaman. So let's read it first, and then we'll comment. Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Hmm. Wherefore, it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man descend unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeth a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king, that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come to, now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over this place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus? Better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said to thee, Wash and be clean, then when he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto a, the flesh, of a little child, and he was clean. What a story. First of all, what we learn from this lesson is, number one, everyone's vulnerable. Everyone's vulnerable. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how influential you are, how powerful you are. 
It doesn't matter how strong we are, how young we are. It doesn't matter our ethnicity, our race. It doesn't matter our social status. Everyone is vulnerable. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I've denied the world the power to destroy you or defeat you. So the point is that no matter how rich Naaman was, no matter how powerful he was, how influential he was, none of that mattered. He's just another person in the eyes of God. But he's a leper. So no matter who we are, we're living in a fallen world. We know that. And because of the fallen world that we live in, there's sickness, there's disease, and it doesn't matter what your status is or who you are, you can get challenged by it. Have you ever been sick? Okay. Number two, pride will short-circuit the power of God. It will absolutely short-circuit the power of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every man has the measure of faith. But a man is not to think more highly of himself than he ought to. And you realize that Naaman thought highly of himself. What he was asked to do was beneath him to do. Why would I dip in these muddy waters of Jordan? And remember, they were overflowing. It was the flood season and all that. And they were muddy. Did you ever see the Ohio River when it really gets higher and all the mud just collects? It looks like chocolate. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Well... That's what it was like. It's beneath me. I'm not going to dip in there. I, I got rivers back where I come from that are so clean. Are you kidding me? I'm not, I, that's beneath me. He thought of himself more highly. Plus the fact, when he got there, Elisha the prophet didn't come out to greet him and to meet him. So what does that tell him? Hey, I'm a man of importance. You send your servant out to meet me? I expected all the news outlets to be there. I expected all the reporters to be there. I expected the fanfare to be there and just to greet me and all that. Because, you know, I'm Naaman the leper. I am Naaman the warrior. I'm Naaman. Elisha, you got to love him. He didn't even come out. He's in there having a piece of cake or pie. Who knows? His servancy gives the message to him. And how hard was the message? Go dip seven times in the Jordan. And you're good to go. But you say, no. Mm -mm, he is in a rage. That brings me to number three. How we think and what we think can hinder what God wants to do. How we think and what we think can hinder what God wants to do. Oh my goodness, do we need our minds renewed? Do we need a higher way of thinking? You know, God's way of thinking is so much higher than ours. His thoughts and ways are so much higher than ours, which is why we should be adamant about, okay, Lord, what do I do now? What direction do you want me to go in? What course of action should I take? Well, what was he thinking? I thought. Look at the verse. Let's read that verse again. 2 Kings 5.11. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, look at these words, I thought. There's your problem right there. Naaman, 
You see, it was the way you thought it should be done. Sometimes we have in our thinking it should be done this way. Or it should be done that way. And this is how it should happen. But you see, our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher than ours. And so we need to have his thoughts, his ways, so his purposes can be fulfilled. So once again, here we see the way he thought was wrong. His thinking was wrong. He painted a picture that this is how it's going to happen. How many know with God, it's not have it your way? That was Burger King back in the 70s. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us do it, serve it your way. Isn't that what they, the, the, the song said? The lyrics to the song, isn't that right? Well, with God, it's not that way. It's how do you want me to do it? What do you want to be done? He said, go dip in the river seven times. But Naaman said, no, no, no. The prophet's supposed to come out. He's supposed to wave his hands up into the sky and call upon the name of his God and the leprosy will be cleansed. No, it's not your way, Naaman. God said what to do. Do you know that he knows us better than we know ourselves? And he knew what Naaman's problem was. Number four, it was pride. Look at this. Humility can save our lives. Oh, humility goes a long, long way, and humility can save our lives. Look at that verse, verse 13, chapter 5, 2 Kings. And his servants came near and spake unto him. Now, you have to remember this. He's the leader. He's the one who's over them. They're beneath him. And they say to him, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great and noble thing, Wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said to you, wash and be clean. It's that simple. Naaman had to humble himself to listen to the instruction of his servants that were beneath him. And he had to admit that he missed the whole thing. He didn't see it. Pride kept him blinded so that he couldn't hear correctly. He couldn't see correctly. He couldn't understand correctly. And he wasn't going to change. I know he wasn't going to change because he packed his bags and he began to go back where he came from. Right? But along the way, someone finally got a hold of him. Think about it. They became the preacher to him and said to him, Father, Master, it was a small thing that they asked, he asked of you. Why not do it? The result is no more leprosy. Wouldn't that be wonderful? No more cancer. No more kidney failure. No more heart disease. No more arthritis. No more whatever the situation may be. There's a solution to it. And here it is. Go dip seven times. Guess what? With those words, he actually now heard. He heard. And then he saw. Then he understood. And then he changed. He turned himself about. You see why change is so important? 
Our thoughts and attitudes ought always, must always be changing for the better. And now he does exactly what God says to do. That brings us to the next thing. Number five, obedience. Obedience Re- gets rewarded. God rewards obedience. When we do it his way, the outcome is glorious. Look at that verse in verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. Notice the word dip there in the Hebrew. The word actually means to immerse. It means to plunge into. So what happened was this spark in Naaman that ignited this fire within him caused him to see the light and make a decision that he was going to change. His change was, I humble myself and do it God's way and not my way. And what happened? He goes and dips seven times. Now, I've said this before, you've heard me say it before, but for maybe others that haven't heard it, I believe with every dip, as he was immersing himself, it's like a baptism, being baptized again and again, another layer of pride was stripped away from his being. Another layer of pride was stripped away. You see, he starts with, I'm sure his attire. Those that are in the military forces, you know, when, sometimes when they're on leave, they'll come home and they're wearing their, their attire, their military attire. He's got all these credentials. He's won all these battles and all that. And I'm sure he's rewarded for all the efforts. And now he's got to take off, you see, that, that cloak, that coat. Lay it aside. Because you see, Naaman has nothing to do with your achievements. Has nothing to do with what you've done has nothing to do with your wealth or anything of that nature. It has to do with obedience to God. And so he strips himself. He gets in one time, two times. Another layer of pride is stripped away. Another layer of pride is stripped away. After seven dips, plunges, being immersed seven times into the water, the muddy water of Jordan, he comes up and out. His flesh is perfectly cleansed. Like that of a child. He's not just healed, he's made whole once again. Look at the difference. Now, why is this important? Because here's the difference between someone who says, it mustn't be God's will to heal me, because you see, I went down there and the prophet didn't even come out and talk to me. So he turns around and he walks away. You know what that tells me? God's will can be revealed, number one. And God's way can be revealed, number two. But unless a person humbles himself to do it God's way, God's will is not going to be achieved in a person's life. God's will was that he be cleansed of leprosy or he would have never given the direction, correct? God's way was to go dip seven times in the river Jordan, is that correct? So he had the will of God revealed and now he has the instructions or the way of God revealed and what's left to do, Naaman? Just go do it. But as you can see, we all, in the natural, what do we fight? This flesh of ours has to be crucified. The way we think has to be changed. Because we can't think that way. We don't understand that way. I'll be honest with you. How in the world does, thank you, Father, for Andrew's left pulmonary artery, how does that make an artery grow? First, there wasn't one. 
But doing it God's way was believe you receive it and you will have it. When you pray, ask for it, believe you receive it at that moment. And from that moment, you continue saying it every single day. You don't even see anything happening for days and for weeks. If anything, you're challenged with every situation you can think of in his life. But we continue on every single day saying, He, his left pulmonary artery is growing, it's open, and it's whole in the name of Jesus Christ. We talk about diligence. We talk about discipline. You talk about saying it in the midst of all the adversity and all the things that are happening around him. And we just kept on saying it. And nine months later, he grew a left pulmonary artery to normal size. That's doing it God's way. And are you challenged along the way? Absolutely. You're, you're challenged to give up. But he obeyed. He submitted himself. He surrendered himself. You see, that plunge, that dip carried a lot of weight. Because his dipping in there, his immersing, immersing himself in there meant, I completely surrender all of my being. Now, how do I know he was a hard case? It took seven dips. If he wasn't, one would have been enough probably. But no, it took seven dips to get through to him. And he realized he was wrong. Now, look at the last one. And how important is this? Oh, my goodness, it is so important to give God all the glory and be thankful. Give God all the glory and be thankful. Uh, look at the verse in verse 15 before I comment. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Notice he wasn't just healed physically. Here was a man who probably submitted himself to other false gods, etc., etc., etc. But all of a sudden now, based on the miracle that he has experienced, there is no God like the God that there is in Israel. He is a saving God. He is a healing God. He is a delivering God. He is a God with ears to hear, eyes to see. He sees our need. He reaches out. He does something about it. He protects us, provides for us. And the list goes on and on and on. He had a change of heart from within and he began to realize this is the true living God. That's how God wants us all to be. You are the only true and living God. And you deserve all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory for what you've already done for us in Christ. Beloved, he brought us up out of the miry clay by the will of his own. When you and I were sinners in rejecting God, rebelling against God, he saw fit to already make provision for us to be a part of his royal family. He sent his son to die for us. If he wasn't willing, Jesus would have never come here. If he wasn't willing, he would have never bore our sin. If he wasn't willing, he never would have bore our sickness and carry our pain, become the curse for us, our emotional you know, anguish and all that. He became all that on Calvary's cross. If he wasn't willing to do it, he wouldn't have come here to do it. But he did it. So the problem doesn't lie with God. I know people don't like to hear this. It lies with us. Our attitudes and our thinking or thoughts ought to be changing for the better every single day. Because we're growing up into Him. He's not growing up into us. So do we have that desire? Do we have that spark, that fire on the inside that says, you know what, I am not giving up on this situation. It's so easy to throw in a towel. It's so easy to give up. If it's your healing, you know what? What did he say for us to do? Look, look at this here at John 5, verses 5 and 6. Here is a man who's not walking. He's paralyzed. He's a paralytic. 
He's been sitting there for all, all these years. He's waiting for the troubling of the water. Because when an angel came down, troubled the water, whoever got in first got healed. You know, Bethesda means it's the house of mercy. The house of mercy. Well, tell me, how merciful is the house of mercy when you got someone like him all those years waiting there to get in when the water's troubled and someone that has a cold jumps in before him and gets healed? It's a dog-eat-dog world at the house of mercy. The blind man says the water's that way. The wrong way. So he goes the wrong way, someone else gets in and gets healed. And the list goes on and on. You know, people are basically selfish and self-centered and they want their will to be done and their way to be fulfilled. And so what do we have here at the house of mercy? No mercy whatsoever. Whoever gets in first gets healed and it's the only one at that particular time. And here's this guy all these years. How do I know it's true? Because when Jesus said, let's read it, a certain man was there which had infirmity 38 years. When, he, when Jesus saw him lie there, he knew it now been now a long time in that case, he said to him, will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? His response is, sir, I have no man. What? I have no man to put me in when the water's troubled. I can't get there. So I'm sitting here watching everybody else get healed except me. Here I am just lying here. I can't get there. I have no man. I have no man. I have no man. I have no man. Jesus says, Take up your bed and walk. That man had a change. You see, he had a change. He was looking at the finite limitations. And Jesus just said, just get up and take your bed and walk. He got up, was healed. That simple change right there brought that man to a place of complete wholeness and victory in his life. Will thou be made whole is the question that he asked. Well, is that what people say? Why didn't you heal so-and-so? He says, no, no, why didn't so-and-so receive their healing? Is the better way to look at it. And I put myself in that same boat. Doesn't matter who we are. Okay, so what did he tell us to do? Well, since you asked, look at what we have here. First, I'm not going to go over these scriptures. So just, he tells him to rise, take up your bed, and walk. In other words, change your mentality. Change the way you see yourself. Change what you're saying, what you're thinking, and all that. You're limited to what a man can do for you. And he says, don't limit yourself to that. Number two, he said that a man who was there at the temple in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, who has a withered hand, which means a hand that's deformed, is probably not fully developed. You can say almost half the size of the other one. And you can just wither. You've seen it withered away. Have you seen anyone like that? Mm-hmm. Well, there he is in the, in the temple. And in the temple, Jesus is there to meet him. And the people are watching to see whether or not he's going to heal him on the Sabbath day because they know it's not proper to heal on the Sabbath day, right? And remember, this guy's a Jew also. He's in the temple there. He knows what the law is. And Jesus looks around and just said, is it proper to heal on the Sabbath day or not? And they held their peace, wouldn't say a word. Jesus is so upset, you hypocrites. And he says to the man, stretch forth your hand. You know, that guy's got a decision to make. Either he stretches forth his hand or he stays that way. In other words, he acts against what he's been taught all his life that you don't do anything like that on the Sabbath day. Remember they said, you don't heal on the Sabbath day. So he has the decision to make. And what's that decision? Is he going to stretch forth that hand or is he going to stay back? And what does he do? He stretches forth his hand and he's made whole. That's the directive. 
Whether it's dip seven times, take up your bed and walk, or stretch forth your hand, look at the next one. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the guy goes and washes in the pool of Siloam. I once said this to someone and she came unglued because I, I, I dare said that God can do a creative miracle. A creative miracle. I'm not saying this is definite, but tradition says, you can go back and do some studies uh, on this, that the man that saw Jesus there, when he spit on the clay and made clay out of the spittle on the ground, and he put him in his eye sockets. It's almost as if what he did was he made like, out of clay, maybe something that would be round or whatever. It just stuck the clay here, one there. Could it be he had no eyeballs at all? And when he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, he came back and he completely was healed and he could see. Remember, our bodies were made from the dust of the earth as well. Okay, but it's not just me. Some believe that that's the case. That's what happened. And then with the lepers, he said to the ten lepers, go show yourself to the priest. So if the man doesn't go and, and let's say, wash in the pool of Siloam, and if this one doesn't go and show themselves to the priest, what happens? No healing takes place, right? So our question this morning is this, will you be made whole? Will I be made whole? Look at John chapter 2 and verse 5. And here we have a statement that Mary, the mother of our Lord, made. His mother saith unto his servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, what's the response? What are we supposed to do? Do it. Do it. Well, what did he say to do? What did he say to do? Well, you have it listed there for you. Ask the Father in my name, and he'll give it to you. John 16, 24. Right there it says, demand in my name, John 14, and it'll be done, I will do it. Speak to the mountain, tell it to remove, and it will be removed. Are you speaking to the mountain? He said, believe you receive when you pray. Don't believe you receive after you pray. Believe you receive when you pray. Don't say that he's going to heal me in the future, but say, I believe I received it right now. Are we doing it? He said, call for the elders of the church and let them pray for them. In the name of the Lord, and the Lord, and prayer shall save the sick, and the paraphrase shall save the sick, the Lord shall raise them up. He went on to say that lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So in other words, we can look to the word of God and say these are some of the things that he said to do that we ought to do so that we could be whole. That's how Andrew got healed. That's how he got healed. That's why he's still alive. Was because we did something that he said to do. We embraced it. We took it to ourselves that become this is a part of us. So there it is. What did he tell us to do? Are we doing what he told us to do? So faith for healing comes by hearing the word of God. And what we hear today is this. Just like Naaman, whatever he tells us to do, do it. And if we'll do what he said to do, that's where your faith lies. And guess what? You're in line for a miracle. Let's all stand together before the Lord.